live from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. And today we're going to be talking, If it feels like we've been um, in this primary season and campaign season forever, uh, but we are officially in January 2020, and that means that Iowa caucuses are on the horizon. Uh, and so on Monday, Iowans will gather at their local school gyms, places of worship, and community centers for the state's Democratic Presidential Caucus, which officially, I, I, I know it doesn't feel like this is a true statement, but which will officially kick off the 2020 presidential primary. That does not feel like a true statement. I'm sorry. Haven't we been doing the primary <laughs> it, it, for like 82 years at this point? I, it feels like we've been there. Uh, but Monday officially kicks off the uh, caucus and primary process. Um, so, uh, so 82 years plus four days. Uh, and as we look towards the primary elections happening in each state this spring in the general uh, election, which obviously comes in November, um, it's important for us to also remember that voting is not accessible to uh, for many Americans. Uh, we know that young people are disproportionately impacted by it. We know that people of color are disproportionately impacted. We know that young people of color oftentimes, as well as older Americans and older people of color. So we're going to talk about some of the ways in which um, access to the voting uh, box is not, in fact, um, distributed equally. Um, and to discuss the types of reforms that are needed to ensure that all people are able, all, all people are eligible, excuse me, all eligible people are able to vote and that everyone's votes are counted, which is equally as important. Uh, as we know, voter suppression happens on the front and back end. Um, we're joined today by Monique Alcala, the COO of Rock the Vote. Thanks for joining us, Monique. Thanks for having me. And Danielle Root, the Associate Director of Voting Rights and Access to Justice on the Democracy and Government Reform Team at the Center for American Progress. Thanks for joining us, Danielle. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, as we as we sort of dive into this topic, which I think is both timely and um, huge in terms of the breadth of which... Uh, we could cover and what we, we, we won't get to every single thing today, but we will get through some of the highlights. Um, Monique, if you could just start us off by sharing a bit about your background. We'd love to, to bring listeners up to speed with um, the work that you're doing at uh, Rock the Vote, what Rock the Vote does, and, and sort of how you've come to this work. Sure. Um, well, I can start off with saying proudly that I'm a native Texan. I grew up in Austin in and around, like in the city, but also in the suburbs uh, throughout pretty much all of my life. Um, I was like sort of a lost soul in my 20s, as many of us millennials tend to be, just sort of looking for an opportunity to do something bigger than myself and do something I think that mattered in the, in the world. So I ended up um, moving to, well, first I moved to Baltimore where my brother was playing professional soccer uh, for Crystal Palace and then realized that I needed to have money in order to move and <laughs> say quickly to realize that I needed to go back to Texas to maybe save some. So I went back to Texas, um, sort of evaluated what my options were, ended up in Virginia, uh, working as a research assistant, working on race and inequality, sort of doing qualitative and quantitative research. Um, happened to um, come across this job description of working at the General Assembly in Virginia for one session. And uh, I took that opportunity. This was sort of, this was in 2012, so it was like the height of all of this anti-immigrant sentiment. And so I was there at the General Assembly watching all of my elected officials talk about 
well, just vilify people that I easily could have known throughout my life living in Texas and wanting to po- uh, pass a uh, probable cause mandate or 287G. So, um, you know, just natural. this is sort of a watershed moment for me in my career. And I decided, okay, well, I'm going to jump on a, any campaign and go do something to make sure that I do what I can in order to get some of these people out of office. So I jumped on a congressional campaign. That was the first campaign that I worked on. I did whatever they told me to. And then I, I was explaining to, to some of y'all here earlier that I... I never thought about getting involved in politics. It just sort of like happened. I'm one of those people who like closed their eyes and like fell backwards in their life and like sort of trusted that I was going to end up at something cool. And it's been a really interesting experiment. Um, but I've gone over the last 10 years, I've gone back and forth between working on um, you know the, the hard side, as we call it, you know, with the political candidates getting people elected. But I've also gone back and forth between working on on that side, but also like the quote unquote soft side with their advocacy side with um, mostly focused on immigrants rights. So I've gone back and forth throughout the years. But then I, you know, 2020 is coming up really important year sort of asking myself, like, what what do I want to do professionally and sort of started applying a little bit more intentionally about like, what what do I want to do for the future? So came across Rock the Vote and really liked the CEO, Carolyn DeWitt. Um, I liked her philosophy on like self-care. I liked her philosophy on like her vision for for the organization, but also just sort of the movement. So decided to take this job and I've been here for about a month. <laughs> well, congratulations <laughs> yeah. and, and, and welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. And um, certainly Rock the Vote has over the years and continues to do such incredible and important work. Um, you know, I remember my my college years. Rock the vote being important uh, then, and, and continues to all be important way, now. All the way back then. Hey, hey, let's not <laughs> hey, let's mean, not take shots on the radio. We're a thirty year organization. I mean, we were started in nineteen ninety. I'm sure you remember some of those uh, some of those moments, like with Madonna draped in the flag, with you know, in our partnership with MTV. Um, I think you know, it's been really cool to like see it sort of evolve over the years and like adapt and uh, really just be out there, like on the front lines, developing some of this sort of awesome technology to ensure that there's increased participation in, in the political process. That's right. And and seeing that continue from, from you know, uh, millennials and now on to Generation Z, not forgetting about millennials, but also now bringing right. Gen Z into the, into the fold. Um, so, uh, Danielle, uh, turn to you. If you could share a bit about the work that you're doing at, at, uh, at CAP on the democracy team and, and how you come to this work as well. Yeah, absolutely. So... I have been at CAP for three years, focused almost entirely on elections and voting. Um, That includes everything from pro-voter reforms, like automatic voter registration and pre-registration, which I know we've talked about on the show before, um, to election security. So uh, love me some paper ballots and post-election audits. Um, And then then calling out, you know, all the terrible voter suppression tactics that we see each and every election over and over again, um, despite our best efforts to stop them. Um, And now my work is also sort of getting into um, the role that the judiciary plays um, in really all things democracy. So um, the fact that we have a federal judiciary that's made up almost entirely of white males, um, and how does that impact decision making? And this includes everything from federal um, courts that are deciding things like voter ID laws or redistricting maps, um, and why it's important to have diversity on the courts um, for voting matters, but also in terms of reproductive rights um, and you know climate change and um, all of the stuff that that we care um, a great deal about. So 
Um, my work is, is broadening, but it always sort of always ends up coming back to democracy and election-based issues. Yeah, that so so interesting, and, and glad to hear the work that you're that you're doing with the courts as well. I think um, a lo- there have some people have known how important the courts are and have been, and I think a lot of folks now are are coming around to that realization as we see um, uh, the influence of this administration pushing so many people into um, federal uh, judge judgeships, and then also kicking issues over and appealing things to the judiciary and then arguing, I don't know, maybe in front of the uh, U.S. Senate that the judiciary has no role in deciding the factors that they just pushed over there. Not that I'm talking about impeachment or anything like that. Totally, totally. Just, just Entirely hi- separate. Entirely separate. <laughs> so really glad that you're that you're on the case, uh, pun intended, uh, work, working on that as well. You can tell he's a dad, right? <laughs> like, the lawyer in me really appreciated that joke. That was fun. <laughs> So we're going to um we're going to head off to break here but when we come back we're going to be talking a bit about um we want to really dive into what's happening in Iowa the the level of influence that the Iowa caucuses have in the primary overall um why it's so important um but also whether there might be some things that uh we could think about maybe should be different in the primary process so we'll be back just after this with Danielle and Monique uh talking more here on the Generation Progress Takeover the Leslie Marshall show Show. I'm your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. Uh, we are joined today with Danielle Root from the Center for American Progress and Mon- Monique Alcala from Rock the Vote. We are talking all things democracy uh, with the Iowa caucuses coming up. Um, and uh, I think that's actually where we want to pick back up. Um, so as we mentioned, um, the, Iowa caucus, the Iowa caucus is less than a week away. Uh Danielle, I guess this is a question for you. What do you what is the difference between a caucus and a primary? Because I feel like people are using people use like buzzwords and you, there's sort of an expectation that you can like recall pretty much everything from your high school civics class uh, if your high school had a civics class. Yes, one of the few high schools that still <laughs> teach a civics. Yes. Um, and that people are just supposed to like remember every single working of uh, you know the American de- democratic system. Yeah. Um, so can you give us a little bit of like a primer? Yeah, so both processes um, are really meant to help determine the preferred Democratic and Republican candidate for each state. Um, Some states operate with primaries, some states operate with caucuses. Um, Primaries you think of as just a typical voting experience. So um, voters go out to a polling place, they cast a secret ballot um, where they vote for their preferred either Democratic candidate or Republican candidate. Primaries can be open, so anybody, regardless of political affiliation, regardless whether they're registered with the the Republican or Democratic Party, can go out and cast a ballot. There are also closed primaries, where only only people who are affiliated with the party that is holding the primary can vote. Um, But generally, primaries are considered more like typical elections. Um, Caucuses are, on the other hand, are held by state parties or political parties. 
um and they are really where everybody who is affiliated with that party can come into a room and openly debate um the democratic or republican candidates that um, are running for president and there's lots of debate there's often lots of yelling um and the the goal of of a caucus is at the very end of the day to come to some kind of consensus over who the preferred candidate is uh for that state party it's kind of like a free-for-all right like it feels very like how is this still the official system of uh you know now that we are in the age of the internet at like it is it is 2020 and people are just like yelling at each other (laughs) on like what is it like auditorium floors or like like in high school gymnasiums and stuff like that like whatever the setting is right you think about like those old-timey like bar fights and like people standing up on tables with their mugs of beer being like I prefer candidate A and the other guy's a bozo and that's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sort of, that's sort of the caucus for you in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, that's on C-SPAN, right? Like anybody can watch it if they have C-SPAN. Is it live streamed? Yes, although, I mean, it will probably be more likely to be um, streamed on like local television, um, depending on if there's like... Like the Iowa caucus, for example. Yes. Like that'll be on C-SPAN. Yeah, yeah you it's... should be able to watch it if, so, if you're interested in that kind of thing. So is, the, <laughs> is there one caucus for the entire state or is this happening in multiple places all over the state and then they have to reconcile? There are 1,678 locations that people go to throughout the for the Iowa caucus. Oh my God! I, well, <laughs> I, wow. Yeah. So, so that simple. is that is the difference between a caucus and a primary. Yes. Yes. Uh, Thank you. So I. But there's lots of polling places too. I just want to want to clarify. Yeah, there are. There for are, like for primaries, there's lots of there are lots of places. right. But I can I can understand the sort of vote tabulation process from yes. a primary, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Whichever person has more votes across the state is the leader, and or the winner of that primary. Yes. So then what does a caucus decide versus what a primary decides? If you're talking about like the primary in the state of Iowa or a caucus in the state of Iowa. So both of them actually determine a delegate allocation, and it's it's actually different from um, how it was previously done in the 19 what was it late 1960s, early 1970s. There was actually um, like a huge outcry to reform the way that the presidential process or presidential nominating process was done uh, because grassroots adv- advocates had thought, oh, you're not reflecting the will of the voters. Like party bosses were the ones that were the ones choosing who are who our political candidates were. And so there was this big outcry during the, you know, during that time. And, you know, just bear in mind, it was like anti-war sentiment. There was a civil rights movement going on at the time. And so um, the Democratic National Committee, like they they created this commission. Um, They instituted these reforms in order to democratize the process. And so what they essentially do is just sort of, yeah, it's it's just based on delegate. So they determine caucuses and primaries determine out delegate allocation. Got it. Got, Got it. it. So what should folks be going to do if they live in Iowa on Tuesday? Like, what is the way that they should participate? Any which way they want. <laughs> <laughs> going to their polling I think, places. I think make make their voices always, heard. Yeah, always participate. I mean, the the Democratic caucus is is just completely different from the Republican one. Republican one is secret ballot. A uh, Democratic one is like open in the public and like the way that they do it, they you know they show up at their locations. Like everybody hears from the either the candidate or the candidate surrogates. They break up into their presidential preference like groups like physically in the room, 
Um, they have a viability threshold of like 15%, mm-hmm. I think. Right. Um, and then if you don't, if you meet that threshold, then great. Um, if you don't, then you have to do this thing called realignment. And yeah, you your, have your to. Your folks go wherever, yeah, exactly. wherever the you know, second choice is. They can either. So it's like a playground game. Everybody yeah. just like scatters in the room I, I know, and then it's, like realize. It's such a weird thing. Like, I mean, yeah, it's very it's, odd. Yeah, it's yeah. very strange concept. So, so. We were, sorry, we really went down the rabbit hole there. <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. It's so it's interesting. Okay. <laughs> it, it is. It is hugely interesting. Um, and there's been a lot made about Iowa being the start of the Democratic primary process, right? There, it's it's obviously something that Iowans take very, very seriously. Iowa has sort of kicked off this process for a long time, I believe, followed by New Hampshire and then South Carolina and then Super Tuesday comes. Um, but Julian Castro, when he was um, in the presidential primary and, and has continued to talk about it. The the fact that the first two caucus slash primary states don't actually represent the diversity of the nation and certainly not the diversity of the Democratic Party. So can we talk a little bit about sort of the role that Iowa plays in this position as the first state in the primary election process and, and why it's important and sort of any any thoughts you have about that conversation that's been going on? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, as you mentioned at the top of the show, Iowa really kicks off primary season and voters are looking to the primaries and what candidate comes out on top, um, how the candidates do in each primary. And, you know, they by in looking at that information, they can make their own judgments about like, well, maybe this this candidate did very well in Iowa. Maybe they should maybe I should be supporting them because they have the best chance to win um, and so on and so forth. And it just sort of builds um, with each primary going forward. Got it. That totally makes sense. You've been listening to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. We are talking um, all things Democratic process, uh, kicking off with Iowa um, as the Iowa caucus comes up. um, And we'll be right back with you in just a few moments. co-host Brent J. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. So thanks for coming back with us and our guest Danielle Root from the Center for American Progress and Monique Alcala from Rock the Vote. We are talking all things uh, democracy, democratic primary process, uh, Iowa caucuses, which I just learned a ton about, um, and now getting ready to talk a bit about some of the roadblocks, roadblocks to representation, roadblocks to the, to the ballot box that we know folks are facing. Um, so just going a little bit bigger picture here, um, Danielle, what are some of the obstacles that people face when they're trying to vote? Oh my, so many. <laughs> um, so let's start with just lack of accessible, easy to understand information about how to register to vote, um, where to register to vote, where to vote. Um, you know, what does your state have a voter registration deadline or do they allow same day voter registration? Um, where is your polling place? Do you need to bring certain documentation with you when you vote? Um, so, you know, aside from information barriers, you have things like strict voter ID laws that we know young people, people of color, low income Americans and elderly people are disproportionately um, less likely to have. Um, so so what about this argument? And I've gotten this pushback before. It took me 15 minutes to Google it. And if they can't spend the time to figure out how to vote, then maybe they don't deserve to vote. 
Well, I would say that's a rather privileged position to have. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, look, like, it's crazy to think about, but there's a lot of people that don't have access to the Internet, right? That's right. Um, And there's a lot of people who don't speak, whose English is not their their first primary language. Um, They're American citizens, but they may not be, you know, understand technical election terminology on a secretary of state's website Mm -hmm. Um, and it's also it's a time thing right it's not convenient to drive down to your local dmv to either get a voter id or voter id or a driver's license or register to vote at your local registrar's office Um, and states that don't have things like online voter registration that's a huge barrier if you're a student and you have classes or you have a full-time job or you're you're a caretaker um so or if you know you're somebody who has kids or if you're a you know yes. somebody who's working two jobs right. because the minimum wage in this country exactly. hasn't been raged if you're a normal reason. human being like <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and voting voting is a right exactly for americans yeah. like if you are of age and you are a citizen in this country voting is a right for general elections exactly and that's the thing is that's why it's it is so confusing as to why the process of registering and voting is so difficult for so many, because as a fundamental right, the government should be making it as convenient as possible for everybody who is eligible to be able to exercise that right. And that's just not the case under our current system. We have an exclusionary system instead of an inclusionary system, even though it should be set up and is is a right and should be set up as such as a process. Exactly. Right. So, Monique, what is some of the work that Rock the Vote is doing to try and and um, either address some of the barriers or, or make voting in the registration process as accessible as possible. I know particularly for, for young people in your target mm-hmm. audience. Yeah, so there, there are actually a couple of things that we're doing, um, and I'll touch on, I don't know, like two. Um, well, number one, we, we have this really wonderful um, like tool, this ballot tool, and so what it does is it does it's basically an aggregation tool. So it pulls together all of this information. I think that whenever we look at younger voters, they tend to be less confident in their skills and knowledge in participating in the process, and so that's that's always a barrier for entry. Um, and so we aggregate the information, like we get, we tell them, you know, state by state, like what are the um, acceptable forms of a photo ID if you need to bring a photo mm-hmm. ID. Um, and like important deadlines for even the upcoming caucus or like some of the primaries that are coming up. You get election alerts through our system. Um, whenever you sign up, you can sign up online at rockthevote.org or um, or you can download you know some the app that's going to be um, released pretty soon. And uh, so we just try to make sure that um, through our election system that you have all of the information that you need in order to be prepared and can make an informed decision on election day. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And um, we're Generation Progress partnered with Rock the Vote on a registration tool as well, so that we can. I think one of the one of the value adds that you that you bring to the field so much is um, using your tools and partnering with other organizations to help spread the word and help um, get young folks registered and, and the information they need to move forward. Um, and just like make it easy. Just like, make yeah. it easy, <laughs> right? Yeah. I you know I, one of the things that we know and we talked a little bit how this can be an exclusionary process is that this. It not only does it not have to be this way, but we know that in history, in recent history, in fact, these tools have been used uh, very intentionally to keep people out of the ballot box. Right. It's not like it's just happenstance. These are the rules and some people can't figure it out. This is actually like a, a tool or a weapon that is used by a party that's in power to keep other people from getting to the ballot box and take them out of power, right? And so 
H.R. 1, uh, uh, the For the People Act, which was passed by the House earlier this year, or now last year, uh, Mitch McConnell called it a power grab. Yeah, I mean, it, it, if giving people in the right to vote, which they have in the U.S. Constitution or subsequent amendments because the history of the country was flawed, uh, is a power grab, what's democracy? Right? Isn't that where people get to come forward and exercise their power to determine who their elected officials are? So when we think about Mitch McConnell and, and sort of pro-voter reforms, like just thinking through why pro-voter reforms, calling that a power grab, why is that such an absurd statement? Like how is that as flawed as it seems on its face value? Yeah, well, what was particularly crazy about that statement is, right, the the Republicans and, you know, Mitch McConnell himself has been a proponent of strict voter ID laws for a long time now. And Republicans have, as you say, for years been putting in place voter suppression measures that have kept certain voters, mainly voters that are likely to vote for Democratic candidates, um, to keep them from voting. Um, so if we're going to talk about power grabs, like let's talk about what the Republicans have been doing for the last several decades. And, you know, H.R. 1, the interesting thing is H.R. 1 would actually remove and do away with a lot of the voter suppression tactics that Republicans have been using uh, or relying on for decades. So it was sort of the, it was completely ironic, um, not to mention absurd, with him calling um, this H.R. 1 and its attempt to open up the voting process and make it more inclusive of eligible voters as some kind of political power grab when really they're just trying to make the process more fair for everyone regardless of political affiliation. So like what are some of the types of what are some of the types of voter reforms we're talking about when we're talking about H.R. 1? Because uh, again, like the absurdity of calling something a power grab if it's really just meant to level the playing field and provide equal access to, uh, you know, fair access across the board to every eligible um, voter. Like, what what is it like so wildly absurd <laughs> about like about providing fair access? What exactly are the provisions that we're talking about here that are so alarming to Mitch McConnell? So. For one thing, automatic voter registration, which okay, I know, doesn't doesn't seem that scary. Doesn't seem that <laughs> scary. Also, um, automatic voter registration because it makes the process of registering a lot more convenient. Um, it obviously helps, you know, voters like young people, um, but also rural voters who are not who you know aren't located close to DMVs or other registrant offices, which. If Mitch McConnell doesn't remember, a lot of his constituents in Kentucky live in rural areas. So hmm, something to think <laughs> about. Um, things like um, outlawing partisan gerrymandering. So making sure that po politicians can't draw district lines in ways that guarantee their elections. Um, prohibiting things like discriminatory voter purges um, that kick people of color off of the rolls for no other reason than the fact that maybe they decided they didn't want to vote in the last election. You know, these crazy ideas um, <laughs> it's, are all in H.R. 1, um, but, you know, really they're just common sense solutions um, to do away with really bad practices um, that have been in place for far too long. So looking at 2020 specifically knowing that these things are in place and, and unfortunately hr1 has not moved forward fortunately some states have taken it upon themselves and enacted some pro-voter reforms like automatic voter registration 
or same-day registration, but thinking about this year and where we are in the landscape, what should people look out for when it comes to voter suppression, um, and what can people do to overcome some of the obstacles that, that they're likely to encounter? So, unfortunately, I think we're going to see more of the same stuff as we've seen previously. I think on college campuses, we will see polling places being closed, um, limited voting hours on college campuses. Um, I think we'll see long lines at polling places for one reason or another. Um, obviously, long lines are terrible for everybody, but particularly for people um, in minimum wage jobs who don't have the kind of flexibility um, to take a lot of time off of work, um, as well as mothers and caregivers. Um, I think we will see voter or discriminatory voter purges. Um, and I'm also um, worried about voter intimidation at the polls. Mm -hmm. um, and I think particularly um, for voters of color who, given current um, the current sort of situation in this country right now and discrimination against um, the Latinx community, um, and I'll let Monique maybe talk a little bit more about, about that, um, I'm worried about people showing up at polling places and trying to intimidate people into not voting. Yeah. Are there are there things that um, that people can do either now or going forward, or opportunities where folks can um, um, really uh, sort of take agency over a situation that we know may not be balanced to ensure that they are in fact registered to vote and that they are aware of of or find out where polling places might be? Are there tools out there um, that offer information sort of this far out or begin to offer information this far out? Uh, I mean, we have our, our election center online that I was talking about earlier, um, and then the, uh, given, even with the caucuses, there are a couple of websites, like IWillVote.org, uh, I think that's the, the website, that, give, that, that also allows you to double check uh, what, where, your poll, where your caucus location is going to be. And remind us where folks can find the election center on, on your site? Oh, it's uh, RockTheVote.org. You can go right to it rockthevote.org and folks can find all this information right now, understand what the requirements are to sort of um, in each state, including unfortunately those hurdles that exist, and then sort of start planning now, knowing that it's not something we can wait until uh, October or November to figure out. So uh, we're listening to the generate, or you're listening, we're talking, you're listening <laughs> to the Generation <laughs> Progress Takeover, the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, we'll be back just after this break and uh, talk a bit more about uh, what 2020 looks like in the democracy and voting process. co-host Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. Uh, we are talking democracy, the democratic process, 2020 elections. Um, we've got some great guests in studio here today. We've got Monique Alcala from Rock the Vote. Um, thanks again for joining us, Monique. Thank you. Um, and Danielle Root uh, from the Center for American Progress's Democracy and Government Reform Team. Thanks for being here with us, Danielle. Thanks for having me. Um, so... Uh, we were talking a little bit during the break about some of the best ways to start engaging. I mean, we can talk uh, we can talk a lot about um, access to democracy and access to the ballot box and stuff. But it's interesting. One of the things um, at Generation Progress we've been working on recently is um, actually if you start getting people engaged in this process, um, sort of like systematically, like in high school and that sort of thing, before they even have access to the ballot box, they are much more likely to be lifelong um, engaged voters. Um, and so, uh, Monique, I was wondering. 
wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about Rock the Vote's efforts to make sure that not only are uh, young people, um, sort of 18 plus, Mm -hmm. uh, ready and prepared and have all the information that they need, um, but also uh, what are y'all doing um, for people who can't yet vote but are like just on the verge of being able to vote? Yeah, so we actually have this really cool program. It's called Democracy Class. And so that gets deployed, or we partner with uh, different school school jurisdictions. Like LA is a really good example of one that we're where we are reaching out, or we're partnering with um, with the different departments across the schools to uh, teach a curriculum. And it, so it's part teaching curriculum, but it's also um, ensuring that all of those folks that that qualify that are um, that they can be pre-registered to vote, and they they know like the process and um, yeah, the, all the deadlines and stuff. And is that so? I th- people do that uh, in schools, or mm-hmm. um, like they they have register voter registration drives and that sort of right. thing. Right. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I was I um I think I saw Brent in some of our work at GP that uh basically it's when people sort of make a make a habit like if they're doing it with their parents and if they're doing it with their teachers um I think one of my one of our colleague colleagues Edwith was like uh yeah I definitely wanted to pre-register to vote because I got to like skip a class with like all of my <laughs> classmates and pre-register to vote um and she was like and I'm a lifelong voter now <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I think it's really important to like give people whenever whenever they're young and they get you know uh, used to the process I was talking to somebody the other day about like what like why did I get involved in politics like was this something that my parents talked to me about and I I don't I don't think so like they were the ones who were like walking me to the to the polling location and like walking me through the process and it was just always something that I was very interested in um, but didn't really think about but yeah getting people early is always a good way to ensure that that people are always participating at, at really high rates it's intimidating to go by yourself if you've never gone before and sort oh, yeah. of go like okay like am I in the right place and also I mean honestly like I work in this like politics adjacent field and still I walk in and I look at a ballot and I'm like okay like I know who's running for president or I know like but then you look at everybody else you've got on the ballot and you sort of go like what am I supposed to do about that right yeah I mean <laughs> And, and the We Are Progress video series that we have out really talks about the power that's in each of those seats um, at a state legislature level, at a city council level. When you think about things like criminal justice reform or gun violence or uh, even immigration or student debt, some of the things we think about as being national issues, oftentimes it's a county executive or a mayor or a city council member or a state legislature who has, excuse me, state legislator, who has tons of power over um, either enacting the type of progressive solutions we need we need to address those issues or ignoring or blocking those, those things. And so really reading up and seeing um, what the power of the seat is and um, who's either going to move it forward or not is really you know important. And you can check out the We Are Progress series at genprogress.org backslash uh, We Are Progress. <laughs> just, a, just a little <laughs> plug there. Slight, slight. Um, so we are, I don't know if you guys have noticed, we are currently in a presidential election year. Um, <laughs> so voting is top of mind for many people right now. Um, what can voters do to confront and overcome some of the obstacles that we've been talking about? Some of the voter suppression, some of the, uh, you know, like seems like well that seems like targeted gerrymandering what can people what can voters do to tar- uh, to sort of address some of this stuff so I think you know the biggest thing is to get the information that you need to make sure that you are registered to vote and can vote when you actually show up to the polls that is just sort of like the biggest and also you know kind of 
the more the most straightforward thing that voters can do themselves to empower um, them and their communities um, coming up on the election. Um, so check regularly your voter registration status. Um, either use Rock the Votes website or your Secretary of State's website. Um, if there's any kind of discrepancy between the information you're receiving on one site and the other site, call, make calls to your secretary, your secretary of state's office, uh, your election, your local election officials office, um, make sure you have all the information you need, um, and get out and organize, um, make a plan with your friends to go vote, um, knock on doors. Um, you know, it's getting people out to vote is, is more than half the battle. Um, so make it fun. Um, and, um, you know, elect candidates that reflect uh, your values um, and hold those who who don't um, accountable um, by actually showing up and, and not being discouraged. Like Chris Kobach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, just saying. Sorry. <laughs> and, and for folks who move, needing to update. Yes. Right. So I, I know when I was in college, I moved three times. I needed to update my voter registration three times, even though I was staying within 15 minutes, you know, from one place to the next. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Each one had a different polling place. And, and we know that's a hurdle, especially for communities that might be more transitional, um, either because of age or economics or a whole host of other reasons. But that's an important thing to keep in mind is, um, as you think about registration. So... We've got just about one minute left in the show, and I do want to make sure folks know where they can find more information about the awesome work that um, both of you are doing. Um, and so, Danielle, where can folks find more information about your work at the Center for American Progress? Well, they can go to the Center for American Progress website. <laughs> uh, AmericanProgress.org? Yes, exactly. All right. um, and yes. follow on Twitter at CapDemocracy. That's right. I do not have my own uh, Twitter account, but that should work just fine. That should work. And Monique, where can folks find you and in, in more work that you're doing? Yeah, um, rockthevote.org and then all of the all of the handles. So rockthevote, like, at rockthevote, like pretty much across the board. Or just across the board. And people can register to vote on the Rock the Vote website as well. Uh, in, in certain places where we do have partnerships with, like, uh, for example, in Pennsylvania, we have a, we, we partner right. with the governor, our government there. And Charlotte, where can folks find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Charlotte Ann um, and also all of our information on genprogress.org. And I am at Brent J. Cohen on Twitter. Our thanks to our guests today uh, and to Mark Grimaldi, uh, our producer, and to all of our listeners. And Emily Leach as well on, Gen, on the Gen Progress team who pulled this great show together. That's right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next time.